0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through verse 30 the title of today's message it actually has a part 1 and a part 2. I wanted to split it in half because what I'm sensing from this passage of scripture that there's some great deep rich truth there and I think it would be better for us to do it in two Sundays and I called it how to be a worthy citizen. You'll notice that the word citizen or even we could use the word citizenship will be salt and peppered throughout my message for the next couple of weeks. And that's a word that we often don't hear very much. I remember when I was a young boy growing up, they would give grades out to you on how well you did in arithmetic and some of the things when you were in elementary school. But on this report card, they also had a line that was called citizenship. And you would be graded on that. Let me ask you, did any of you have that on your report card growing up, citizenship? Well, I remember they did that because they wanted us to be a good citizen. When I was doing research for this message so that it would be something of value to all of us, I came across a little-known fact. Did you know that on September the 17th that we are going to celebrate Citizenship Day? And that was not just established a couple of years ago or a decade ago. It actually came about to celebrate that on September 17th, 1787, is when 12 delegates came from the different states at that time to sign not the Declaration of Independence, but the Constitution. And so that would become, for us, our declaration of us being a country. And we then would become citizens. And so I got thinking about that, and I continued my research to find out what others had to say about citizenship, because that is a word we don't use today, and I think some of our folks might find it difficult to define. First of all, I went back to the very first dictionary, the English dictionary that we had in America, and that was put together by a person named Noah Webster, and here's what he said about citizenship. He said, it's the state of being vested with rights and privileges of citizens. I really like that. That means we have rights as a citizen, we have privileges as a citizen. But as I got thinking about this further, I believe he left out a word in what I think we could add to his definition it includes not only the rights of being a citizen and the privileges of being a citizen, but there are also responsibilities in being a citizen. And probably no one could say it better in his own crusty way than a former president named Theodore Roosevelt. And here's what he said about citizenship. He said, the first requirement of a good citizen in this republic of ours is that he should be able and willing, here it is, to pull his own weight. I thought that was good. And then for those of you that come from maybe a a Chinese background, I found a Chinese proverb that really spoke to me, and it said this. It's very rich, too, in some truth. It said this. It says, For the nations rise and fall, every citizen has a responsibility. Now, as I got thinking about that whole concept of citizenship and our study of this letter that Paul wrote while in prison to his dear faith family in Philippi, he wanted to speak to them about citizenship. Now, if you will, take a moment and look at the first phrase in this little passage of Scripture. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, when you read that, you think in terms of, well, that's my conduct or my manner of life or my behavior, and a lot of translations will say that. But if I could take you back to the actual language in which Paul wrote to the people at Philippi, probably a better translation would be this, only let your politics or your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. So what he's really trying to do is to make a case for the people at Philippi that they would be good citizens. Now, this might help you because we don't live today in the same time they lived back then. You needed to know that when Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, were telling the people at Philippi to be good citizens of the gospel, that when they heard the word citizens in their language, it was setting off all sorts of bells and whistles like fireworks on Friday night in Waikiki. They knew what he was saying when he said that. Let me see if I can explain that a little bit further. I've asked two of our teens here to come forward, Krista and Tyler, if you will, and I'd like you to hold up my map here. For some of you that aren't too familiar with the geography of where Philippi was and the significance of this, I'm gonna have these two young people stretch out my map. I told these folks over here not to make them laugh, otherwise you'd be looking at a map going like this. But for those of you who don't know where Philippi is, I want to show you where Philippi is. It's way up over here. We'll call it the Mediterranean lands. For most of you, that's as simple as we want to be for today. I don't want to make a complex Philippi. Now, I know that right now some of you are saying, that is so far away. That is a dusty old city that's just nothing but rocks today. How does that relate to me? I think I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. I want you to know that the truths of the Bible will permeate any culture and any time. So if you stay with us, you're going to see how this is important for you to realize your citizenship is not so much here, it's going to be in heaven, and you'll see that in a moment. So here you have Philippi, and way over here is Rome. Now you wonder, why am I making the issue between Rome and Philippi? Well, during the time that Paul wrote this, the Roman Empire was raging but they had what they call satellite cities. You know, like here in our town, they have like a satellite police station. You have the mother police station, then a satellite police station. You have downtown Honolulu, then you have a satellite city, Coppolae, something like that. Now, over here, you had Rome. Now, most of the people that lived here, although they were under the Roman Empire, there was only a few cities that were set aside as special Roman cities. And the people who lived in that city, they were so proud that they weren't just a city in Mediterranean, but they happened to be a satellite city of the mothership called Rome. Philippi was like that. So here's what they did. They picked up a lot of the Roman language. They dressed more like the Roman people. They thought more like Rome. And so there was a lot of those laws. And so when you lived in Philippi, it's as if you lived in Rome. In fact, the people would kind of flaunt and say, we're little Rome over here in Philippi. So, when he said, I want you to be good citizens, they knew that this was a very unique thing because they weren't just part of Mediterranean, but they were citizens of Rome, and that was important. But now he's making a bigger case. The case isn't just be a good citizen of Rome. He wants to let them know, talking about believers, those that are Christians, that you would be a good citizen with a dual citizenship. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's give these young people a big hand. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, now let's find out a little bit about dual citizenship and how that relates to us. I'm finding here in Hawaii, more than on some of the towns in mid America, that there are people that have a dual citizenship. You know what that means? They are a citizen of one country and a citizen of another country. How many of you perhaps have a dual citizenship? Do we have anybody here that has a dual citizenship? We have a couple folks, salt and peppered, here. Well, let me show you how that works in the Bible days. Now, again, we're not talking so much about a political system, but he's speaking about a special system here. If you look back at your notes, why don't you look at your little outline I have in front of you? I believe you're going to see a phrase where it says, Paul knew the Philippians had dual citizenship on earth in Philippi. So he knew he was writing, although he was in a distant area, writing to some believers in Philippi. He knew they were in Philippi. There were citizens in Philippi of Rome. But then he goes on to say in the same letter, and he says, but we're also citizens. We have our citizenship in heaven. Now, here's what I'd like you to do if you look up here for a moment. Most of my message now is going to move in a direction that we would be good citizens of heaven. Now, we haven't been there yet. None of us have been there yet. There might have been some really high days. where We thought, man, this is just like heaven. But even our best day can't compare to what heaven is. But when you trusted Christ as Savior, that's like becoming a citizen. Now, when we become a citizen of America here, we're born into citizenship or we're naturalized. To become a citizen of heaven, we have to trust Christ as Savior and be born again, and now we have our citizenship in heaven. But the unique thing is, is while our citizenship is in heaven as a Christian, we're to let everybody around us know that we have also another citizenship. It's in heaven. While we're living in our citizenship right here. Let me see if I can show it to you another way. I'm holding up my passport, and I, I dare show you my picture right here. If this guy doesn't look like a terrorist, I don't know who does. I'm applying for a new one so I could go and visit some of our missionaries. But this is telling you that I'm a citizen of the United States. But I can confidently tell you on the authority of God's word, I did what he told me to do so I can also become a citizen of heaven. So I have now the same citizenship that the many believers had in Philippi who were Christians. They were of Rome. I'm of the United States. They were of heaven and I am of heaven. Now, I thought this was interesting because there was also another quote that really spoke to me as well. And this comes not from Noah Webster, but from Daniel Webster. And he really fits into our message when he says, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. And so while he's going to speak to them about being a good citizen of heaven, that when they follow God, then they often will become a good citizen here on this earth. Now, to do that, I wanted to move along to the area of the gospel. Go back to that first phrase up top of your page there. It says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if you want to mark that, that's where I'm going to be going for today's message. That we talk about having a good citizenship of heaven. It's worthy of the gospel. And let me bring this down and be real simple for you. In order for me to have a citizenship in heaven, I have to go through... The door of, or the rite of passage of, the gospel. So what gives me my citizenship in heaven is going to be the gospel. And so today we're going to talk a lot about the gospel. Now I'm going to take and stay in Philippians, but kind of preach around it a little bit, because the gospel is so important in the book of Philippians. Now the book of Philippians is only four chapters. And yet, in a short little letter like that, Paul seems to have a stuttering problem because he keeps saying the word gospel, and gospel, and then gospel again. Would you follow along now as I go through this? Let me just read to you the many times the word gospel is found there. And let me encourage you to get your own Bible out and mark it. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happen to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 17, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 27, twice in one verse. Only let your conversation, your citizenship, your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. In verse 15, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, and then he says a few more things. So it seems like Paul is gospel centered and gospel driven because in a sense, the gospel could be not just the declaration of independence from sin, but it's also the declaration of our constitution. That's what we know about the gospel and we believed in and we embrace and we serve and we adhere to that gives us the rights of being a Christian, all the privileges of being a Christian, but also comes with it the responsibilities of being a Christian. Now, the word gospel, let's talk about that for a moment. Do you know that for us who are what we might call conservative Bible people that really believe the Bible, and as we grow up, we begin talking a lot about the gospel, I'm finding that even now there are a lot of churches that won't talk about the gospel. They don't even use the word gospel. They might use the word good news, or a happy message, and some of these things. And I'll be quick to say that that's not entirely bad, as long as they fully understand the stereophonic, the full-blown understanding of the gospel. And so today what I'd like to do, because we're going to talk about being a good citizen, I'm going to talk more about why we need to be a good citizen. Next week, I'd like to share with you now more expository from the passage, what he now says and how to be a good citizen. So before we do the how part, we need to learn the why part. So why the gospel is so important. Let's go through these. There are seven that I extrapolated from all of scripture here and why it's important. First of all, the gospel itself has an author. In other words, if we're talking about going to heaven, someone had to come up with the plan to go to heaven. What, what, who wrote this plan? Like who wrote the constitution? Who put this whole thing together? Well, let me say very quickly that the gospel is not man-centered, it is God-centered. It all comes from the Lord. And if you look at it, I've chopped up some verses just so you can see bits of it. It calls it the gospel of Christ. So Christ is at the center of the gospel. It's called the gospel of God in other passages. So it comes from God. So from the beginning to the end, the author of it is the Lord, is God. Maybe there's another way to say it would be this. God says in order for us to go to heaven... He now puts together the plan of the gospel. He then puts it out in writing for us, the gospel. He then becomes the gospel in the person of Christ by dying and rising again. So he wrote the gospel, he becomes the gospel, and he is the way to have a citizenship in heaven. And so he becomes the author of it. Let me see if I can say it another way, simplified. We see the Trinity involved in the gospel. We see God gave his son, Christ gave his life, The Holy Spirit gives himself to live inside a person who trusts Christ as Savior, and with him comes all these ministries and the sealing and the power and all of that. So we see the Godhead is involved in this. Now, I split it up. God gave, Christ gave his life and the Holy Spirit, but they all work together in beautiful synergy around the gospel. So that is the gospel. Now, I need to take a pause for a second. I'm not going out of here, but... I'm a little concerned that some might be here today and you're saying, why are you making such a big deal over this? If you stay tuned in the next couple of minutes here, I'm going to let you know that if you are seriously concerned about where you're going to go when you die, that you do need to have another citizenship waiting for you, and that's heaven. Now to be really blunt, and I hope I can say this in as much island aloha that I possibly can, as much as I know about the Bible. I know that when you were born physically, you also had another citizenship. Everyone has dual citizenship. I have the citizenship somewhere on planet Earth in some country, but I also have another citizenship found in the afterlife. When I'm born, my second citizenship is in a place called hell. There really is a place called hell, and it's horrible. There are no rights. There are no privileges. There are no responsibilities. When you're in hell, you're suffering eternal consequences for even being in that citizenship. Now, you may not buy into that right now, but that will not stop the fact that you came into the world with dual citizenship. And what I'm imploring you right now is that you have a way to escape that second citizenship. You can have that citizenship in heaven. And God says, it's all of me helping you get that second citizenship. So number one, he is the author of it, not man. If He's the author of it, then I need to lean into, okay, you wrote it, you did it, what's your plan so I can enter into that plan to have that new citizenship. That brings us to number two, the meaning. The gospel has meaning. I I put this down here because sometimes when you hear people use the word gospel, they'll kind of slangly say... That's the gospel truth. Well, that's kind of like saying, that's really the truth. Well, that person says, that meal was really good over there. And that person will say, that's gospel. That's true. Well, it is true, but it means more than that. So let me take you back to when we began our study of Philippians. Do you remember that there was a key word or a key phrase that seems to be salt and peppered through this letter? Now, we said the word gospel, but there's also another word. And for our guests that are here, let's see how well our people paid attention. I'm on the line here. Here we go. What is that key phrase, the key word, the key thought for the book of Philippians that Paul was trying to get across? Just shout it out. Not all at once now. It's the word joy. It's the word rejoice, okay? Thank you very much. Joy, rejoice. Those of you that are on radio here. Here's what's interesting about that. If his key word is joy and rejoice... And he has gospel in here nine times. The word gospel means, not what it is, but what it means. It means glad tidings. It means good news. So can you see how that good news goes equally with joy? When you have good news told you, that is joy for us. And so that becomes something that becomes really great. Now, some of you probably are having a little challenge here with understanding what good news would be. Here would be some good news. You go to the doctor and they say, you've got a lump or you've got a spot and we need to take a biopsy. And so they take the biopsy. And so you're waiting for a report and it seems like it takes a million years for that report to come back. And then it finally comes back and they say, nope, it's absolutely nothing. Now you know how good that feels when they say it's absolutely nothing. That's called good news. Here's another illustration of good news. Good news for the young people would be this. You do real well, you work real hard during the semester in a very tough subject that you've had. But there are some grades that you absolutely blew that major exam big time. And you know that that could cost you a high grade in class. It might even put you into having to go to summer school and do some makeup. But you arrive at class, head down, nervous as you can be, because you know you've blown it, and your teacher says, you know what I'm doing, I'm going to take the lowest grade you've made on any exam, and I'm going to throw it away and not even count it. What would we call that? A miracle, all right? we call that good news, that would make them happy. Now, for my last illustration, to me, this would be probably the greatest news of all. I am surrounded by the enemy in a horrific firefight. I can hardly see the guys that are with me. I hear a lot of moaning and groaning, and I'm understanding that there's more enemy coming against me, more firepower coming against me. There's no way that I can get out. And I'm trying to do everything I can to call in some heavy power to take me out. And I don't know that my radio is working. And all of a sudden, what I find out is I'm hearing over the mountains in the back, boom, 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 boom. it's the sound of the blades of a helicopter coming for me. You know what I would call that? What? Good news. Now, all of that is to kind of help me get a better grade. I don't get sick with cancer. and might save me from getting injured or killed. But there's no greater news than this, that you are lost. Your citizenship is in hell. You cannot get away from that citizenship, no matter how good you are, no matter who you pay off, no matter how many promises you make, now how long you try to live a better life, no matter what it is, you still have that. But God says... I am now going to take all your sin on myself, die for you, rise again from the dead, and I'm going to give you new citizenship that you don't have to study for, you don't have to be healthy for, and you don't have to have someone else come in and rescue you because no one else on planet earth can do that. That's called what? Good news. Now, let me explain what it is. Go back to the passage. We explained what it meant. Now, let's show you what it is. Remember? Our citizenship has the author of God. It has the meaning of good news, but it also is something else. Follow along in the passage. It says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. So circle that because that's the key thought in this passage. Which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you're also saved, unless you believed in vain. He's talking to the Corinthians here. He's saying to those folks... You believe that, you receive that, okay. So that means you receive the gospel. In other words, you believe God is the author of it, you understand what it is, and it becomes yours. How do you believe in vain? Well, there's a couple of ways you can believe in vain or uselessly believe and still believe and not have a citizenship in heaven. One way to believe in vain is to say, oh, I believe Jesus died and he rose again, but I also must continue to do good works in order to stay with my citizenship in heaven. The way you believe in vain is to not place your faith in Christ alone or to place your faith in Christ and something else. So what we do, we believe in vain. This group, he says, that gospel which you've received. Now stay with me because I'm going to define the gospel using the Bible passage. It says this. He goes on to say, for I delivered to you first of all that which I received. So he's basically saying, I didn't believe in vain. I received this gospel just like you. Then he says that Christ died for our sins. Would you circle that phrase, Christ died for our sins? There are four general components of the gospel, and then I'm going to reduce it to two. Now, I know this is a little heavy for some of you, but I want you to stay with me because I'd like to give you a little bit more than you might get other places. So the first part of it is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. So you can put a number two by that if you'd like. He was buried. Then it says, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, what's important is the scripture has already foretold his death. It already foretold him rising the third day, according to the scripture. So put a three by that. He rose again. And then it says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, and then it goes on and on after that. So put a number four by the phrase, and he was seen. There are some people that'll tell you that the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. I think that's a loose explanation of it because technically the other part of that component is the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection, and being seen alive after he was dead. So technically the gospel would have four parts. But if I want to be theologically most specific, it's not about his being buried. It's not so much about how many or who saw him afterwards. Now He had to be seen to prove the resurrection. Here's what it is. You don't have a burial, unless you have a death. What I mean by that is we do not bury live people, we only bury dead people. So when you bury someone, that substantiates that someone died. So the burial proves there was a death. Component number one, in order for us to be saved, Jesus Christ had to die. Then it says he, was, he rose again and he was seen. What proves that he was risen again was that he was seen. All right, so the burial proves a death. Being seen alive proves that he was dead and that he resurrected again. So the two most specific parts of the gospel is this.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.